0: What if we didn't have a cold open?
1: Yeah, none of this is usable, but it was um, enlightening nonetheless. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan.
0: Welcome to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division III football. We're the largest division of the smallest schools. I'm Pat Coleman. I run D3Football.com. Keith McMillan has been uh, with the site since 1999, since most of you guys were in diapers. Maybe not true. Uh, But Keith, who are you wearing this week?
1: Oh, for my Halloween costume, this cherry red Kangol from the 1987 LL Cool J collection. And then I'm Adidas down from head to toe, and uh, wearing my shell toes. So I, I went old school for my Halloween costume. What about you, Pat?
0: Oh crap! You, you never ask me these things. Um, my Halloween costume? I don't know. I'm gonna go dressed as a guy struggling to get through a half marathon. That's the best I could do. Sorry. Yeah, you'd look. Uh,
1: whether you, <laughs> you just need a headband and some sweat. You're good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty laborious. Um, you could tell we're getting close to playoff time, though, because uh, teams are clinching automatic bids, fans are asking who they might be playing in the playoffs, people are trying to line up our top twenty-five poll with the playoff seeding. So first off, don't don't do that. We would love for the NCA to follow our top twenty-five poll, but they don't. Uh, the regional rankings, which come out this week, those are going to be your guide as to who might get in, where they might get seated. Although our poll, as we think, will always be the best indicator of who might actually win playoff games.
1: Yeah, Pat, it's always fun when someone tweets at you to put us in the playoffs uh, if only we were uh, we had that much control.
0: <laughs> oh boy, I, uh, I, could, I could rattle off a bunch of teams who have uh, said that to us over the course of the past uh, eight years that we've been on Twitter, for example. man.
1: Uh, we won't get too deep into it, basically all you need to know: 25 conferences get automatic bids, two are set aside for teams not in those automatic bid conferences, and then there are five at-large bids for the nation as a whole, for the nation as a whole.
0: Yeah, we spent a lot of time on this in the last podcast, so we won't repeat it here. But just know that the first set of regional rankings are scheduled to come from the NCA committee on Wednesday afternoon. Keep an eye on the website and on Twitter for those, uh, and those are the indications. And we'll talk more about them at that time as the as we post the regional rankings. We'll then go back and do a little bit of analysis with each region to give you some sort of idea of what you're looking at. As far as uh, who you might play in the playoffs, one of those other questions I referenced a few minutes ago, what I usually tell people is you can play anyone within 500 miles. It's basic, it's simple, uh, but 95% of the time it's true. Last year, though, we had an exception. NCA kept Mary Harden-Baylor and Harden-Simmons from having to play each other in the first round, and it would be good for the bracket, in my opinion, if that happened again this year.
1: Yeah, Pat, I think, I think it's always good to mix it up, especially when we're talking teams that played each other just a few weeks ago, conference opponents, Uh, usually don't play again in the first round Um, non-conference teams sometimes do get reassigned to play each other and then of course uh, as you advance throughout the playoffs you may run into a team that uh, that you've already played but when they mix up the brackets especially when it's not texas against texas and west coast against west coast uh, makes for a more unique experience facing someone unfamiliar and a more true bracket you know for all we know Harden-Simmons is the second-best team in the country, and they should get a chance to bear that out. Um, buying Texas teams all over the country isn't viable, and the sooner one is out of the playoffs, the sooner NCAA stops having to pick up the tab for that team's 58 players and personnel. But let's give the D3 leadership and committee some credit for finagling the funds last season to mix up the first round. It was still a tough cluster with Linfield, Mary Harden-Baylor, and Harden-Simmons together, but at least it wasn't that Texas-Texas Skyak versus Northwest Conference matchup that seemed to be automatic in so many previous years. Uh, as for this year, mentally, if you picture a U.S. map, you might um, think the champions of the USA South or the SAA could get to Texas, but neither will be within 500 miles.
0: Of the three teams who clinched on Saturday, two are pretty geographically isolated. Chapman clinched the Skyak, and that almost always means a flight to either Oregon or to Texas in the first round. Barry makes the playoffs for the first time. They're in Northwestern Georgia. They could play Huntington if Huntington wins the USA South. Uh, they could play Franklin. In fact, if Franklin finishes off the HCAC, they could play WNL if WNL wins the ODAC. And uh, Warburg also clinched on Saturday. They won the Iowa Conference. They could play a lot of people. They're within. Uh, they're a little bit more within the general footprint of Division Three, especially football wise.
1: And although podcasts aren't visual, if you happen to be somewhere where you can look up the D3 map of of where all the teams are located, um, almost all the teams in D3 are located somewhere in the Northeast or in the Midwest. And then there's starting to, to be a growing swath sort of uh, down the Mid-Atlantic and across the the uh, Deep South. Not too many teams, but there's still those those two Isolated packs in Texas, and then way out on the West Coast. So there aren't a whole lot of options for uh, for those teams. But it will get uh, it will get a little interesting this year because, as you mentioned, Pat, it's it's kind of baffling to realize that uh, that the champion of the USA South, for instance, is much closer to Indiana than it is to Texas.
0: On Saturday, Keith Platfield goes from a team that's in the conversation for a top seed to perhaps out of the playoffs entirely. Uh, We were talking about Platteville because if we were looking at the teams in the West, Oshkosh is going to be a team that's going to get a top seed. Sometimes a second top seed goes to a team in the West region. Uh, Now, there isn't another unbeaten team other than Warburg in the West. But if you were to look at some of those other teams in the the so-called power conferences, Platteville, St. Thomas, everybody looks at our rankings and say, well, St. Thomas is a viable number one seed. But uh, if you had looked at St. Thomas and Platteville before Saturday, St. Thomas lost to UW Stout, Platteville beat UW Stout, and has a really good strength of schedule, and that's why we were talking about Platteville. So for Platteville to go from a potential number one or number two seed to all the way out of the playoffs might seem pretty baffling, but uh, let's go through the one-loss teams for at-large bids for a second. If you're only here to find out who might get at-large bids, this is the, uh, the the few minutes of the podcast you want to pay attention to, and you also want to pay attention to the the other hour. I assume it'll be about an hour. Uh, so you've got Harden-Simmons or potentially unbeaten Springfield. They're going to move into this group from the Pool B teams. There's two Pool B teams. Mary Harden-Baylor is going to be one of them, and Harden-Simmons or Springfield will be the other, and one of them will probably move over. So that's one. Illinois Wesleyan uh, has obviously done really well this year. Their strength of schedule will come up this week after playing Millican. Uh There's the loser of the Case Western Reserve, Washington and Jefferson tiebreaker. Uh, that's expected to be Case, and even though Case's strength of schedule is really low, remember they're unbeaten and they can finish the season unbeaten because they do not play W and in the uh, Presidents Athletic Conference schedule this season. Uh, there's the winner of St. John's and Concordia Moorhead. They face off in Week 11. Then you got Frostburg State. You've got Center, DePauw, Franklin and Marshall. All of these teams have decent strength of schedules right now, and uh, that will fluctuate over the course of the next couple weeks. But uh, so there's Platteville. Then they're out there with at best two losses. And the number four strength of schedule in Division Three right now. So yeah, they could hop over some of these one-loss teams in the pecking order. But I just named eight one-loss teams for five spots. And if we get to the point where we're talking about two-loss teams, then you know we'd have to talk about Wheaton as well. Um, I, it's one of those situations where Platteville fans need to root for some of those eight teams I mentioned to all lose. Much like those teams, fans were probably rooting for the Pioneers to lose this past week.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is when, if you're a fan of a team in the playoff mix, you really have to familiarize yourself with all the um, conference races across the country and the other contenders in Pool B and Pool C. Uh, you mentioned, Pat, those two Pool B teams. You, you have a loss, an unexpected loss from Springfield. Maybe that would uh, put Harden-Simmons in Pool B. That would open up a spot in Pool C. Yep. You, could, you could get... Um,
0: Oh, Monon, you know, DePaul, Monon Bell game, yeah,
1: right. DePaul. I was gonna say they have. They still have to play Wabash. Uh, Illinois Wesleyan has a tough game left. Although they've uh, they've been through most of the um, the CCIW slate. They still play Millican in Week Eleven, and Milliken is six and two right now. So there are, uh, you know, between. St. John's and Concordia-Moorhead, won. that's pretty much going to be a knockout game, but the other team is going to pick up a win, and that may end up being a, a win over a regionally ranked opponent. So that may be a very a very powerful win. And then um, nothing, it, nothing is guaranteed for Case Western Reserve and Washington Jefferson. If one of those teams happens to stumble, the other one probably takes the automatic qualifier, and then a team is out of pool C. So... We'll see. I think the, the at-large candidates shrunk considerably this week, and they could shrink again in the future. But if if you don't um, see any unexpected losses, or if DePauw beats Wabash and Springfield finishes 10-0, and Case and Washington-Jefferson finish 10-0, and then I think you have a pretty um, solid group uh, for those five spots, and, and you won't see really any surprises. You'd have to say this thing is as tight as the rusted lug nuts on a
0: 55 Ford. Of course, one of the teams we didn't even mention was George Fox. George Fox uh, losing to Linfield. George Fox with a loss to Platteville uh, would be stuck behind Platteville. Let's talk about Linfield for a second. We we can kind of write off or explain away, I guess, the struggles in Week 8 against George Fox because of the weather. We can't do that for their struggles against Pacific Lutheran, and that's a a struggle that uh, now our voters have begun to notice Linfield dropped a couple of spots this week in the top 25 without losing a game. Um, but even even regardless of the top 25, this is a team that now we have to have some real sudden questions about.
1: Yeah, I think you get a free pass usually once from the voters. Uh, every team has a tough game er- now and again or, or has an off week or runs into opponent an opponent that matches up really well with them. But when you do it in back to back weeks and in the case of Linfield, uh, they turn to a freshman quarterback. Uh, in the second half against Pacific Lutheran. And that's a somewhat significant road trip for them. That's a long rivalry. So you could you could ex- maybe try to explain it away, but I think the voters were wise in, in seeing that. Linfield has had now a handful of games this season where they haven't scored um, consistently or prolifically. The the one against Mary Harden-Baylor, well, nobody scored on them very much. Um, George Fox tough opponent. It was a rainy day. okay, that's understandable And, th- and this week um, they really needed a uh, a not a not a, not a lucky overtime but a, a fortunate, overtime for them to pull out a win at Pacific Lutheran, or we'd have been leading the broadcast with with a huge upset.
0: <laughs> yeah, we would have been. Um, now, uh, Wyatt Smith is the guy who came in to finish the game at quarterback. He finished 6 of 8 passing, uh, got some pretty good reviews from the uh, Linfield people who we saw. Um, I only watched the overtime, Keith, so I saw you know uh, Pacific Lutheran have its field goal blocked in the first half of overtime. Uh, Linfield missed a... Field goal wide right, except that there was a roughing the kicker penalty, and then setting up at first and goal from the five. Linfield didn't uh, didn't wait very long to finish that game off.
1: No, and I mean that you got to take advantage of of those opportunities, but you also have to make your twenty seven yard field goals if you're planning to be a team that advances in in the postseason. So right now, Linfield uh, actually looking pretty solid defensively, if you want to take a, a sunny view of of how uh, they're playing, but. You certainly don't want to be a team that is changing quarterbacks in week nine and uh, and having a score in overtime to beat um, middle of your conference opponents if you're a team that has designs on being three, four, five weeks deep into the postseason. But to be fair, uh, Linfield changed over a, a ton of personnel, especially on the offensive side this season. And so even though expectations are always high in McMinnville, uh this may not have been a season where they had those championship expectations like they do most seasons.
0: Keith, I could almost copy and paste out a significant amount of what you said and apply it to the lacrosse Platteville game as well. In what way? Uh, talking about uh, if you want to be a team that's going to go three, four rounds deep in the playoffs, you have to be able to beat a team who's in the middle of the pack in the conference. Obviously, lacrosse has the potential to be significantly better than the middle of the pack in the conference, but this is a team that had uh, two Wyoc losses and then went to Platteville, and uh, Platteville had to score 17 points in the fourth quarter just to get back into the ball game, and they lost
1: 27-20. Yeah, it, to, to some degree, that that's similar, and, and to some degree, I think it's almost... More like um, just the WIAC and, and the CCIW are a little bit similar this season in in the sense that each team or each conference is so thick with contenders, it's, it's it's bound. Their teams are bound to stumble, and uh, Platteville had, had um, you know had lost to Oshkosh, but had otherwise um, come through clean. But this is the the WIAC this season is a conference where. Um, stout is unexpectedly tough lacrosse is off to a five and zero start has a, a quarterback that everyone is excited about. And even though, uh, he's gone out, uh, the backups come in and, and performed well. Um, and then you have Platteville, Ashkosh, and Whitewater, which got off to a, a rough start, but, uh, has, is no, uh, easy win. You have really at least five teams. And then I think river falls has been competitive, um, the past couple of seasons, some weeks, And this season, particularly this week, against Oshkosh, uh, they looked uh, very competitive. So now we're talking about six of the eight teams in the conference um, being pretty darn good. And you just have to be on your game every week if you're going to run undefeated through a conference like that.
0: Another team that is highly ranked, had a bit of a scare this past week, was Wesley at Montclair State. We'll have a little bit more about that game later. And uh, Frank Rossi of In the Huddle will be uh, sharing a interview that he had with uh, Mike Drass from the uh, end of that game. So we will uh, talk a little bit more about that game later on in our rundown. What this is a good time to do, however, is to thank our sponsor and recognize our sponsor, Fanraise. Fanraise, who will help you as a football program or any uh, athletic program, put together a team store or an online store for your ease, for your convenience, and also to help you raise money for your program. What they'll do is put together uh, up to 125 or 125 plus items in your store, branded merchandise that you can put out there to sell to your fans, to help supply your players for preseason camp, all those sorts of things that you generally have to deal with buying from a supplier and then shipping out to people. Or you have a, maybe you have a deal with a website for somebody else, but it's only going to be open for three weeks and then after that, you can't use it. What use is it to you then, the other 49 weeks of the year? With fanraise, you don't have to worry about any of those things. All of those things are taken care for you.
1: And Pat, the, the thing I like most about them, I mentioned this in previous podcasts is fanraise uh, is run by folks who are D3 folks, so they understand the challenges. That uh, that Division three schools and, and football programs have uh, the challenges are a little different than um, maybe at a school with forty thousand enrollment and and when you're at a school with eight hundred or twelve hundred or fifteen hundred or, or so forth. So uh, that that's actually really my favorite thing about fan race.
0: That's right. Let's keep all these things in the Division Three family. Who understands Division Three better than other Division Three people? Fanraise is on that list. Go to thefanraise.com, T-H-E-F-A-N-R-A-I-S-E.com. Tell them D3Football.com's podcast sent you. Keith, my game ball is going to Marietta running back Roger Walker. He had 36 carries for 274 yards and four touchdowns, and the last of those came with a minute 22 left to lift the Pioneers to their second surprising win in two weeks. This one, a 35-28 victory at Ohio Northern. Marriott is 5-3 now, most wins they've had since 2006, and Walker scored eight touchdowns in the past two games. Pioneers finished with Capital and honorbine too, so they could very well finish 7-3. and three. This would be vastly improved from the team that lost to Baldwin-Wallace by 28 and John Carroll by 27 in weeks 5 and 6.
1: Pat, my game ball goes to the St. Thomas special teams. I mean, sure, the Tommy's defense held Bethel to negative seven yards, rushing in Saturday's 58-13 win. But if I might pilfer a passage from the game story to illuminate how good the special teams were, this is a direct quote. Uh, St. Thomas blocked three kicks, one early point after. Kick blocked by Mark Dowdle resulted in a two-point score by Luke Swenson for a 9-6 lead. Later, a punt block and TD return by Chris Fundakowski put the Tommies ahead 31-13, and then uh, Matt Mitchell also blocked the punt. I mean, that's insane. To, to, you're lucky if you get one kick block every couple of weeks or you get one uh, game-changing play or return or something out of your special teams. Mostly you just want your special teams to be solid, not make any mistakes, not cost you the game. In this case, uh, they're, they're putting points on the board for St. Thomas. And, and I think now that we take a longer view on on St. Thomas, you know, maybe that early season loss really focused them. Uh, it was ahead of the St. John's game. They uh, they won that one in, in tough fashion, and it was such a spectacle. I think they uh, getting that out of the way was probably good. And then now, you know, they've been playing great defense for the for several weeks now. You add great special teams in there, and uh, they don't have to put up 58 every week, but uh, but they did this past Saturday. Uh, they beat Bethel, and uh, my game ball again. St. Thomas special teams
0: pilfer a passage. My team on the rise in the poll this week is Monmouth. Uh, We've talked about Monmouth before on the podcast in terms of their top 25 candidacy, and I actually had them on my ballot last week uh, before I realized I hadn't taken the Monday night finish of the Wheaton North Central game into account. This week, however, they stuck around. They took the spot I had been using for Milliken. Monmouth's only loss is to Wartburg, and that's a team nobody else has beaten anyway. Plus, Monmouth did what was expected against Lake Forest. Nobody was complaining about Lake Forest not getting top 25 votes, thankfully, and Monmouth took care of the rest of that for us.
1: And we know we have at least one listener from Lake Forest, so I'm, I'm glad we weren't getting uh, to- uh, complaints about the top 25. We, we may have been uh, justified. But that's a situation where, uh, when we're talking about Monmouth, you wait, you want to see how they do in a game against a, an unbeaten team like Lake Forest before you uh, move them too far on your ballot. And they were constrained by that week one loss to Wartburg. Wartburg has been slow to move up the uh, the top 25, and, and you know voters who are paying attention can't move Monmouth up any higher than Wartburg is. So they sort of— uh, it. it Makes sense that they didn't really uh, start rising until now.
0: I think, Keith, one of the kind of subtle things that we do in terms of getting poll information out to voters that uh, might not be so obvious to people is they get a copy of the entire schedule, not just what teams did this week, not just who the teams have already played and who the record of each of those teams is, but also who's coming up on the schedule. So that is one of those situations where that kind of information can come in handy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really good to have and especially this deep into the season there's just not too many people that have the human memory recall to remember who played who who which week yeah. for you know the 40 teams that you're that are in contention for your top 25 votes so it uh, it's really good to have all that information at your fingertips and it you know builds over the course of the season so you can um, always refer back to it my riser on the poll this week with uh, Linfield and Hardin-Simmons each having a close call recently, and St. John's behind St. Thomas, which has a loss to an unranked team, the four-slot is where the intrigue begins on most voters' ballots. I didn't quite pull Brockport up to number four, although uh, I had to reconsider the top 10 with, uh, with Linfield struggling. But the Golden Eagles are solidly in my top 10 after what would have been their third straight shutout if not for a garbage town garbage-time touchdown by Morrisville State a few weeks ago. We know Brockport can score but the way it's smothering, mediocre, and mid-level teams from the Empire 8 is honestly reminiscent of how a certain team from Ohio punishes opponents. The Golden Eagles gave up 20 points at Hobart and 38 at Cortland and just 28 in their other five games. They're 8-0. That's actually terrible math, right? Hobart, Cortland, and five games would still make them only 7-0. So I guess they gave up 28 in their other six games? Maybe. Uh, in any case, they're 8-0, and and they're in the mix for a top seed in uh, one of the four playoff quadrants.
0: I was told there would be no math. Keith, my slider is Linfield. Do I do I have to say anything else about that?
1: I think we've dealt with uh, with with Linfield plenty. Although uh, my slider, by relation, uh, George Fox, by way of Linfield and and Platteville, uh, the uh, Bruins end up being my slider. And, I wanted to make a grand point about how teams you've previously played, especially those that you've beaten how it affects your ranking in a given week. But it turns out George Fox only dropped one spot for me this week because they did a lot of their dropping last week. Still, as voters, because of the 30-28 to 28 head-to-head with, uh, with UW-Platteville back in week one, wherever the Pioneers fell to after the Wisconsin lacrosse loss, George Fox was going along for the ride. It didn't help that Linfield struggled to that overtime win, replacing its quarterback, given that the Wildcats just beat the Bruins last week. So for grand pronouncements, Remember that the current week's results aren't the only thing that affects the vote. George Fox won handily this week, but we have new data that says maybe UW, Platteville, and Linfield, which played two- and six-point games with George Fox, aren't as good as we previously thought, and that drags the Bruins down. Remember that the current week's results aren't the only thing that affects the vote. Was that your way of doing a grand pronouncement?
0: That was, that was my best uh, that was my best attempt at it, yes.
1: It wasn't, that sounded like a drunk conductor on a train or something. A like, grand pronouncement needs to be... Remember, 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 remember. Wesley was about uh, 15 minutes
0: away from being one of our sliders this week, but uh, they rallied to defeat Montclair State on Saturday. After the game, Frank Rossi of In the Huddle, I would say sat down with, but I'm guessing they were probably standing up. They chatted after the game.
2: Frank Rossi with Coach Strass here, and Coach, 26-7 victory, but for about three quarters of play, it didn't quite look like that. It was 7-6 to six after three quarters. I, I was looking at the Kane uh, box score, I'm looking at this box score, and the second quarter of Kane and the fourth quarter of this game, you had 20-plus points in both of those. Otherwise, those games might have gone the wrong way ultimately yeah. for you. Woo. What's going on with the offense? Is it just a young, gelling scenario going on, or are you just facing some really good defenses?
3: Well, I think this. especially when you have that Kane Rowan and Montclair I mean that's three you know people always say what do you think oh they're big and physical well those are big physical defenses that run well and uh you know I mean Montclair is going to put you know eight guys up every play and it's hard to get a yard rushing on them and uh, they did some great jobs uh, with their all American stunts off the off the corner and um, we knew they're going to be tough I mean uh I don't this that's not a, a team that's gonna pack it in. They had a rough week last week. You know. We had to and we had to fight off the uh, whammy of the uh of your prediction. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, remember I did say they're comeback in the end. Come so I it didn't think it was the upset of the week.
3: But <laughs> no, uh, sorry, that's all I can think of.
2: <laughs> Get rid of the Frank Rossi whammy. A lot of people would love to do that. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the defense, though, has been sensational, uh, and especially in a game like today. I, obviously, a little bit of a glitch toward the end of the first half, but that was it. Seven points by Montclair, and they had a couple of opportunities, but your defense stood up. You have a lot of senior leadership there. Obviously, is yeah. that what you're looking to right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, Samer, you know, and Mike Sabino, those two linebackers are really good football players. Um, you know, I think that uh, you, know, you got to give give them a lot of credit but you know as a as a 11 we we rotate about 14 guys you know 14 people that are playing throughout the course of the day and uh yeah i'd say this they play very hard and they run really well i mean we may not be as big as some of the teams in our conference but we run as well as anybody and uh these guys are running you know second half when it when it counted you know and i'm not a coach that yells at people at halftime but i'm a I did a little yelling at halftime today. Can't blame you. But the guys came out and they, they put it on the line in the third quarter defensively, even when we moved the ball and didn't score, we we didn't fold. You know, our defense stayed the course, you know, and kept putting pressure on, on them and, and uh yeah, you know, I was real proud of that, you know, and then I, I just knew it would be a matter of time, you know, before, you know, E J and Cole and so happy for Danny Kesak, you know, that's a big play and You know, he's been out, he had the flu all week long. And yesterday, Friday, was the first day he practiced all week long. And, uh, you know, he's a senior, he was a former quarterback, he knows the offense, so we knew mentally he'd be there. But physically, we, we were a little bit worried. But, uh, you know, he really stepped up and he's done a great job blocking all year. So it's great to see a kid who's blocked his backside off, you know, get a
2: 60- or 70-yard touchdown pass. At the, uh, you know, circle of players at the end, you were kind of in an impassioned plea saying to them, you can do this, you can do this. What were you talking about? You know, why so impassioned right now? Well,
3: you know, right now we are in a position, you know, to... Fight to get into postseason play. To fight to win a conference championship. You know, uh, three quarters of the team out there in the country probably aren't in that same position. And we can do that, but we got to put forth our best effort every play. We got to give more. I mean, it's 60, 60 minutes, and we can't go out and play 30 minutes. You know, against teams we're going to play. They're going to be ready. They're going to. They want that. They want that ring too. They want to get to that promised land too, and get in those playoffs. We can do it, but we got to earn it.
2: Salisbury's next for your team. Were you first maybe a little afraid that some uh, players were looking ahead to that game because of the marquee nature of it? Uh, they had a good day uh, from what I had seen uh, earlier against, I believe it was Rowan uh, today. But uh, obviously you throw records out the door when you get to that showdown between the two teams. What do you expect to see?
3: Uh, it'll be a battle. I mean, it always is. Um, uh, we you know, we have to be able to move the ball consistently You know, against them. We did that last year. Um, But, you know, this is a new year, a new game. You know, defensively, we've got to be able to play mistake three football. And uh, every year, you know, when we get that Route 13 battle going, um, you know, there's definitely going to be ebbs and flows. And, you know, the team that makes the least amount of mistakes is going to be the one left standing at the end of the game. So uh, hopefully that'll be us.
1: The best thing about that interview, uh, Frank, was um, getting a feel for what it's like to be in the huddle with Mike Drass. I don't know if you guys caught that. He uh, Frank asked him a question, and instead of answering it directly to Frank, Mike uh, he just launched into the way he speaks to the team. And if you've ever spent any time around him, if you, I mean, he's it's really a privilege. He uh, and if you haven't, he's one of the, the you know the great coaches in D three. Obviously, been uh, a long time at Wesley, and has brought them to national prominence. But just goes right into the 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 way he would talk to his team about Salisbury. You know, you have a team that's been playing well, um, but not well enough if they want to get to where they they hope they're going, and and that's the an exact right way to approach it. And it's a way that resonates with, with, with kids and with players who know that um, you, you need to drag the best out of them, uh, especially on big game weeks. I mean, players know who you're playing. And one of the reasons that great teams are so impressive is because they're able to get uh, consistent effort week to week to week to week, but most teams and most players—it's just human nature. You know, you, you you turn it up a little bit for the big weeks, and uh, and Wesley's going to do that for for uh, the Route 13 rivalry game. But they pretty much have to do it from here on out.
0: Thanks to Frank Rossi from In the Huddle for the audio. You can see more interviews of theirs from the Wesley Montclair game on their Facebook page at facebook.com/d3huddle. Keith, for my hidden highlight, I'm going to go with Rippon rallying with 22 points in the fourth quarter to beat the University of Chicago 36-29. And I've got a real long explanation, and I apologize to our focus group in advance. Now, admittedly, we have a Rippon pick six in our highlight reel, but I'm going to maintain the hidden moniker because it was a relatively obscure game between teams in the middle of the Midwest Conference North Division standings and also... This is important because the internet went out at the city-owned stadium in Ripon, Wisconsin, and this game was not broadcast. So Ripon takes a 14-0 lead after one, then they're down 29-14 after three before the rally starts. And here's the thing, you know, Ripon is still running that Georgia Tech-style offense where the conventional wisdom say it's tough to play from behind, right? But the Redhawks went on a 13-play drive, go 73 yards in 551, and they cut the lead to eight early in the fourth. Rippon gets an interception but can't convert. They go three and out. Clock is under seven minutes when Lane Barnes intercepts Campbell Garrett's pass and returns it 61 yards for the score. And a two-point conversion ties the game at 29-29. Chicago has another pass intercepted, third of the quarter. But once again, Rippin can't convert. So Chicago gets the ball back with a buck 59 left, and they can run out the clock, uh, except they can't run out the clock. So Rippin gets the punt at its own 41. Uh, Julia Patton throws a couple of deep passes, including one to a wide open Sam Schreuer in the end zone with 23 seconds left to go for the win. And just to cap it off, Campbell Garrett gets picked off one last time on Chicago's final possession. Four interceptions, all of them in the fourth quarter.
1: Yikes. That is a great hidden highlight, not for not the least of which, because the, the Internet went out. I like that detail. But that's a game that even I didn't um, pay much attention to. And you know, I scroll through, obviously, all the results on on Saturday and Sunday before we do the podcast in search of my own hidden highlight. So uh, that was a good one to pull out. Thanks. My hidden highlight is Knox and Cornell. Knox, once a laughingstock of a weak conference, made beautiful music with Cornell in a 52-51 shootout between the Midwest Conference rivals. The Prairie Fire rallied from an early two-touchdown deficit and went back and forth with the Rams all day. It went to overtime at 38, and Cornell led 52-45 when Knox scored and decided to go for two at home to win it in the second overtime. The Prairie Fire dialed up the right play and caught the game-winning two-point conversion, except... Wide receiver Hunter Lee stepped out of bounds and was the first to touch it when he came back inbounds. So the catch is nullified. The two-point conversion comes off the board. No more plays are run, and Cornell wins. File that under most brutal losses. Here's a quote from the uh, Galesburg Register and Mail from Hunter Lee. He said, I didn't believe I stepped out. We were just trying to do anything to stay alive in the play. I thought I was in front of my man, but I guess I got too close to the line. Um, The uh, Knox... Coach also said in that same article that uh, basically couldn't ask for any better effort on a two-point conversion play where you run the right play, you get the ball into the end zone, you catch the ball in the end zone, and it's sort of just a, uh, he didn't say that, the, this is my word, sort of just a technicality that they lost, but that also is the risk um, in, in going for two to, to try to win a game. You know, if, if you feel like you got the right play, it's, a, it's always a great way to dial it up, but also uh, they'd had a kicker who'd made uh, all extra points and a field goal on the day, so they certainly could have kicked it and gone to another overtime if they'd felt confident doing that.
0: It's been a very interesting and a very enjoyable season, I would have to think, for Knox fans who have not had a whole lot to cheer about over the course of the last decade or so. Uh,
1: yeah, I think it actually makes the bronze turkey game uh, coming up this week somewhat in doubt, which, uh, which it hasn't been for years. <gasps>
0: That's right. The Bronze Turkey is this week because in week 11 they have the conference championship games.
1: Well, yeah, Monmouth uh, will have the the conference championship game. (laughs) And Knox will play
0: somebody like Ripon or University of Chicago. I have not looked at the standings that closely. It's good to to tie both of those uh, hidden highlights together. Uh, Moving on to my double take. Uh, Biggest double take of the weekend is a game we've already talked about. I'll tackle another surprising result, and that's the Cortland-St. John Fisher game. Cortland had uh, two comfortable wins sandwiched around that upset of Alfred and the Red Dragons were 5-2, and two, but they ran into St. John Fisher's seniors intent on salvaging their last home game. Cardinals entered the weekend 1-6, and six, but left it with a second win, 35-28, and it was a senior who led the way. James Chambers had an 80-yard touchdown run and a 40-yard touchdown catch in the win, finishing with 290 all-purpose yards.
1: Well, my double take was Carthage 45, Milliken 27. Uh, the Big Blue actually led in this one, 19-17, shortly before halftime. And it wasn't the Red Men winning that was surprising so much as the margin. Just like Illinois Wesleyan busted open a game it trailed against Elmhurst, 15-7, scored the final 40 points on the road. Carthage turned 19-17 into 45-19 with a score nine seconds before the half, and then a 21-point third quarter. The Redmen finished with 603 yards offense, held the ball for 40 minutes, forced four Milliken turnovers, and went 13 of 16 on third downs. It now creates this scenario in the CCIW. Illinois Wesleyan has beaten Wheaton and Carthage, but lost to North Central. Titans face Milliken week, week 11. Milliken beat Wheaton, lost to North Central and Carthage. Carthage beat Milliken, but lost to Illinois Wesleyan and Wheaton. Wheaton lost to Milliken, but beat Carthage and North Central. North Central lost to Wheaton, but beat Illinois Wesleyan and Milliken, and they face Carthage. This week, you follow all that? You shouldn't be able to.
0: No, yeah. Point is? Even I didn't, and it's written on a screen in front of
1: me. You shouldn't be able to follow it. There's five teams. They've each, more or less, beaten one or two of the others. There are two games left between these five teams. It's been a actually great season for the CCIW. It's it's super deep this year, and it may only get its automatic qualifier into the playoffs. Although I think we're of the opinion that uh, North Central is uh, likely to win the AQ, and Illinois Wesleyan would be a strong Pool C team, but. If the CCIW only gets one in, uh, it would be a shame, but the conference would only have itself to blame for beating up on each other.
0: Keith, it seems like stat of the week could include somebody from the Lakeland offense on a weekly basis, including quarterback Michael Whitley. Uh, But Desmond Eddy was one of several weapons described to me in kickoff, and I described to the rest of the reading population in kickoff, as being versatile, multi-talented guy, and he was definitely that on Saturday. He had 21 carries for 124 yards and two scores, and then down the stretch when they were trying to rally, uh, played he played more in the slot. He caught nine passes for 108 yards and two more touchdowns, and that included the game winner, which came with two seconds left. Now, this game turned into a nine-point game when Aurora t- tried to lateral its way to a miracle and instead fumbled in its own end zone, but it was a nail-biter to the finish, a 47-38 Lakeland win.
1: It's good to go beyond the stats and, uh, and, and or the final score and sometimes realize that games with margins like that were actually uh, really tight. My stat of the week uh, is from Iowa uh, Central. They've had an up and down season uh, and Saturday's win against Loris was preposterously up and full of good stats. The Dutch gained 10 yards per play or 693 yards on 69 plays. That's a first down every snap. Further, however... Central allowed 619 yards on 99 Loris plays. So you figure that's a, sounds like a 48 45 game. Nope. Central won 65 24. Some other peculiar numbers from this one. Loris fumbled seven times, but only lost two. That,
0: what? <laughs> I, I, again, I'm reading it on the screen in front of me.
1: Yeah. L- yeah. Loris had uh, seven fumbles, uh, gained 619 yards. Uh, ran 99 plays. Yeah, they fumbled seven times, but only lost two. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't even the turnovers to blame necessarily for the 65-24 um, final.
0: Those are like triple option numbers.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you really want to dig into this box score, and, and we really don't have to because it's a it's not a major uh, wasn't a major game by any means. But it's it's amazing how a team can get can uh, gain 619 yards and uh, only score 24 points. Uh, they weren't awful on uh, third down conversions or uh, turnovers or, or any of that stuff, penalties. Uh, it was fairly a normal game. It, it was just the, the uh, uh, they uh, put it on the ground a bunch. So that's of your 99 plays, seven of them were, uh, went nowhere because you're busy dropping the ball on the ground.
0: <laughs> and that's the last thing you want to do. You don't want to be busy dropping
1: the ball on the ground. No, no, no. And speaking of dropping the ball, let's move on to our quick misses. to come on out and get you whooping. Uh, each Friday, a six-person panel gives you hints on what to, what to watch for uh, in the coming week, a weekend of games, and, uh, and then we make a few predictions. And quick misses is where we hold ourselves accountable for being wrong. For instance, under which game featuring a ranked team will be the closest, Adam Turr said Elmhurst would push Illinois Wesleyan to the brink. Great pick if games were 30 minutes long. The Blue Jays led 15-13 at the half, but uh, Illinois Wesleyan scored 34 unanswered in the second half of a 47-15 win. Uh, Frank's bizarre pick of Wesley Montclair State for Game of the Week looked prescient for three quarters. Actually, at one point, I thought this was going to be the quick hit of the year as the Red Hawks took a 7-6 lead into the fourth. But the the 14th-ranked Wolverines turned it on for 20 in the fourth quarter of uh, what ended up a relatively nondescript 26-7 win so frank's quick hit of the year became a quick miss sorry frank all decisions are final
0: but he did get to have a nice back and forth with mike dress about it so that was good
1: it did i and uh actually enjoyed that interview uh also frank uh and i we picked uh seven point games for uh closest game involving a ranked team but it was uh wisconsin oshkosh their three-point win over river falls that was the closest involving a ranked team so he and I were so close yet so far.
0: I picked, uh, I did not do very well in that category. I, I picked uh, Barry to beat Birmingham Southern in a close game. I was trying to point out that it would be a low scoring game because there's very defensive oriented teams. Yeah, Barry still won 35-18. So that was not even seven. Um, you can do the math. Uh, quick hits, you know, obviously some of them were hits, they weren't all misses, some of them were so good, it reminds you you should actually read the piece when it comes out on Friday morning, so that would be great. Uh, our guest this week was Doug Samuels, he's, uh, he's the content coordinator for Football Scoop, he played at Defiance, um, and he forecasted the upset of number nine UW-Platteville, and, you know, kind of generally a pretty knowledgeable guest all around, uh, he had uh, Wittenberg-Wabash as a Game of the Week pick, that worked out pretty well as well. Uh we were looking for a team that uh got uh banged around pretty badly in week 8 and uh, was going to bounce back. Um I picked Catholic because they lost very very badly to Springfield in week 8. They barely beat Norwich 10-7. Um I, if I remember all of the mailings and all the emailings I've gotten from my alma mater over the course of the past few weeks, I'm pretty sure that was homecoming at Catholic also. Um since Hartwick had the weekend off we asked which team with hawks in its name would score the most points if i had thought about asking this question if i'd gone all the way through i think the schedule before asking this question i probably wouldn't have asked it knowing huntington was playing greensboro huntington beat greensboro 52 to 7 um keith checked all 11 of the d3 teams that had some form of hawks in their name and the next highest was uw whitewater that was the warhawks they had 35 co-cohawks had three overtimes to do it only scored 28 and they lost to luther and that's my opportunity to talk about luther just for a second there it wasn't even on the blue turf so uh let's see uh, a bunch of us were super right um and i don't know what the heck adam was trying to do with his pick of Salvi regina in that one
1: well he had seahawks in the name and i think he gets some kind of fraction of a point for at least knowing uh that that he picked a team with hawks
0: the show where everything's made up
1: and the points don't matter uh ryan tips got that one frank you got that one uh and then pat you and i uh had the huntington win over greensboro as well
0: Every week we throw it there on Sunday nights, a reminder that you can ask us a question on Twitter, which, if it's good, we will answer on the podcast, and we have one of those for this week's podcast as well. It comes from at jam2twit, J-A-M-T-O-T-W-I-T, who asks, what are the biggest chances for a mix-up among anticipated playoff teams in the final weeks via Pool A or Pool C? Keith, I definitely have one in mind, but uh, I'm wondering uh, what you might be looking at.
1: Well, uh, I, I think you maybe should give yours first because I have—I think I have a bunch of answers to this question.
0: I think the place where there's probably the biggest opportunity for the status quo or the projections to go awry is in the New Jersey Athletic Conference. There's, uh, yep. uh Frostburg still has Wes—they uh, don't have Wesley. Frostburg has Salisbury left. Salisbury has Wesley and Frostburg left, um, and those are you know three teams that are all in the mix for the conference championship chip, chip conference championship. Spit it
1: out. Yeah, all those teams are 7-1, and one, but they're, as you mentioned, Salisbury is 7-1 and one with a non-conference loss way back in week one, I believe, to Albright, and they haven't played Wesley or Frostburg State yet. So right now, I think if you had to do it, you'd pencil Wesley in, and you'd say Frostburg is uh, maybe last team in Pool C, first team out, uh, or maybe doesn't get to the board at all, depending on... Uh, how you interpret uh, their criteria, uh, them on the criteria, I should say. Uh, their strength of schedule number right now not very good, and they really are going to need um, to beat Salisbury and then have Salisbury remain uh, regionally ranked. That would that would help them a little bit. But uh, other places where what we think is going to happen uh, could turn into a mix-up in the last uh, few weeks here. I think that Pool B, you should you should really watch that closely. Uh, right now, three teams for two spots. Mary and baylor Springfield, and Harden-Simmons. Right now, that's pushing one of those teams, either Springfield or Harden-Simmons, into the Pool C group. And uh, that, that may mean either Springfield or Harden-Simmons gets to the, the board before uh, some other team. If you're not familiar with the process, the committee will generally only discuss four teams at any given time, the, the best team from uh, each region, or each group of regional rankings, however you want to define it. They'll discuss those four teams on the criteria. That way they're not discussing 11 or 12 teams at a time and going back and forth. They discuss the four. They put one in, and if they put one in from the east, then they'll pull up the next team from the east and then discuss four at a time. Hope that made sense. If it didn't, um, let's just get back to the the question. There are other spots, I think, where you can, you can um, anticipate a mix-up. We talked about... Um, whether Case Western Reserve or W&J stumbles. And uh, that actually would would not, not affect Pool A, but it would open up a spot in Pool C. Uh, and then I think there are some other conference races that we are not watching all that closely where you could see some unfamiliar names uh, in the postseason. Or if you've been with us a long time, Curry actually would be a familiar name in the postseason. Right now in the Commonwealth, Coast Conference? Is that what the CCC stands for, Pat?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those of us who follow basketball to, uh, right. That's easy for you. Yeah. Exactly. Second nature.
1: Um, the CCC is one of the New England conferences, uh, that when the NFC split, it's, it's split into now. It's, there are really actually a lot of new conferences if you haven't been paying, if you know, if you're, you're from the Midwest or the West or the South. And you, don't, you only pay attention to these other conferences around playoff time. Uh, the New Mac is new to you. The CCC is new to you. And the MASCAC is a few years old, but um, relatively new to, to football listeners. If you haven't seen it, it's new to you. Uh, Curry and Western New England, they will meet this week for pr- pretty much the title game in that conference. And so Curry, which has been uh, really was, was dominant in the early 2000s in the NFC and then has, has fallen on hard times in recent years. Uh, they could be back in the postseason. Um, union in the Liberty league uh, seven and one. They still have to deal with um, RPI and, and Ithaca still in the mix in the Liberty league as well. But that's a team that again was, was great at one point in time, had really fallen on hard times and is now back uh, Plymouth state right now, leading the the MASCAC. They still have to play Western Connecticut. Uh, actually, Western Connecticut, I'm sorry, has already beaten Plymouth State. Uh, Western Connecticut has to play Framingham State, so that one's not over yet. But Plymouth State is uh, is in the mix, so uh, I think that you may see a few few um, teams that you don't normally see in the playoffs. Eureka out of the UMAC, um, yeah. And, and we've been talking about Springfield for several weeks now, but it's been a while since. Springfield was a playoff team, so none of these teams will be, um, you know, top seeds or, or anything. But I, I think it, it'll be interesting for folks across the country to get to to know a few new teams.
0: Remember to send us a Twitter question for this podcast. Hit us at D Three Football anytime between eight and ten p.m. Eastern on a Sunday night. We'll take the one that we deem most interesting or the one that we can most easily riff for five minutes off of. Every- Keith, if I'm looking at this rundown correctly, every thought of yours is actually every thought of mine.
1: Yeah, I think I emptied out my thoughts in uh, in some of these earlier sections, so uh, take it away, Pat.
0: All right, well, maybe I can fit it all within the confines of this uh, music bed underneath it. Um, One of the things that I wanted to mention that we haven't talked about, Eureka beating St. Scholastica on Saturday. We've talked about uh, in-snap judgments on Sunday. Adam Turr talks about the Anthony Reasonover and the uh, amazing amount of workload he's had the last couple of weeks because Eureka didn't need him so much through the first few weeks of the season. Eureka can uh, clinch the UMAC with a game at Martin Luther, on Saturday. Case Western Reserve finally getting to the pro-team portion of its schedule. They have the third worst strength of schedule right now. That's only better than Alfred State and Finlandia. But they do finish with Westminster PA and with Carnegie Mellon. On the last week of the 2016 season, you may remember, Carnegie Mellon saved us from having to ponder the candidacy of a 10-0 team looking for net large bid. And uh, not much notice was given to this because it didn't have a playoff impact per se. But WPI beat MIT 24-21. Not only does this game have the distinction of being the shortest score in terms of number of characters on a line, but uh, also snapped MIT's five-game win streak. Yay for the
1: Engineers over the Engineers. <laughs> Next week, a bunch of big games. Most of them have been um, mentioned somewhere along the podcast, but just to group them all together. Got 7-1 uh, and one Salisbury at 7-1 and one Wesley, the Route 13 rivalry. The uh, New Jersey Athletic Conference automatic bid will be on the line. If uh, Wesley wins, uh, it can clinch. But if Salisbury wins, then it has to be Frostburg in Week 11. If there's a three-way tie, allegedly the tiebreaker is opponents' opponents' winning percentage. That's unconfirmed at the moment. But, well, that's uh, only because
0: you and I haven't gone and done the research. You think right. we could
1: do the research on this? Would be good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's the conference office knows what the tiebreaker is at this point. <laughs> we don't usually dig them up because they're the each conference. Uh, is able to make its own tiebreaker rules, and they're not even always the same from year to year. I, sh- I shouldn't I shouldn't say that like they just change them willy nilly, but um, there's not like a centralized clearinghouse for for tiebreaker rules. So each year, when the scenario presents itself, is when we dig the tiebreakers back up. So that's kind of what we we mean by unconfirmed. If we have to talk about it next week on the podcast, we'll, we'll give you yeah, we'll give you all the gory details in in uh, more than you ever wanted to know about. Uh, opponents, opponents' winning percentage. Uh, we mentioned Western New England, six and two at Curry, seven and one for the uh, first CCC title. Alfred, six and two, they're at Brockport. That's probably the uh, most realistic chance for uh, Brockport to get knocked off before the uh, playoffs begin. Trinity and Amherst, they'll decide the NSAC title, but still won't be deciding a playoff spot. The NSAC, <laughs> the NESCAC does not participate in the in the playoffs Uh, for fans of teams who are uh, possibly up for a pool c bid you can send your thank yous to the new england small college athletic conference for not taking what would be another automatic bid um to the postseason uw platteville at uw whitewater that was uh probably a huge game before uh, platteville lost to lacrosse it's now just a mildly interesting one carthage at north central the cciw saga continues the bronze-turkey game, Monmouth and Knox. Uh, Knox has already matched its highest win total since 2002 at 4-4. Four and four. And this is also one of the rivalry games that's got uh, long history, cool trophy, funny backstories, but has been pretty much a non-factor game nationally for uh, for a while now.
0: That uh, Platteville at Whitewater game is now like a super elimination game. It's like... I, whichever team loses this game, we don't even have to talk about talking about them. We talked about talking about Whitewater a few weeks ago. We talked about talking about Platteville about uh, a half hour ago. Now one of these teams is either going to pick up loss number four or loss number three, and we can be completely done.
1: Mm. Well, uh, some other conferences, their races will be completely done uh, this weekend. A handful of them will wrap up in week 10, but the ones that won't, uh, because they can't possibly be clinched before a, a certain result happens in week 11. That's the uh, Midwest Conference. Obviously, the title game uh, determines the AQ, the Liberty League, we discuss the ODAK. Uh, w and uh, WNL, Adam Turs, Mater, Washington Lee and Shenandoah still in the mix in the ODAK.
0: Uh, I think Hampton and, Sydney's still in the mix too by the way, but WNL and Shenandoah are head to head in the final week.
1: What's um like a it's not a Freudian slip. It was like an intentional psych, <laughs> psychological a, omission a, in Sydney. I
0: think that's a Jungian slip, right?
1: Uh, sure. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, here are the teams, quick list of teams that can clinch next week without help. Uh, should we read them off? Sure. Why not? If you're still listening to the podcast, you must care about these things. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh versus uh, Eau Claire, Huntington versus Methodist, St. Thomas versus Gustavus Adolphus, Eureka at Martin Luther. Lakeland versus Concordia, Chicago, Wittenberg uh, in the North Coast versus Ohio Wesleyan, Hutton. Hutton, goodness.
0: Pronunciation 101. Beautavistic. Gillardi.
1: Beautavistic. Framingham State. Teal. Gallaudet. Husson. Husson versus Alfred State and Brockport versus Alfred, we mentioned. Linfield versus Puget Sound. Franklin against Anderson. Mount Union versus Muskingum. A bunch of clinching will go on next week because that's what happens in Week 10.
0: And this was Around the Nation podcast number 182 for the week of October 30th, 2017. Thanks for listening and uh, keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like this podcast, we appreciate it. If you're still listening to this podcast at this uh, all the way through, then you probably do like it. So go and rate it in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your fine podcast. This will help other football fans find it. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and lots of our other music throughout the course of the podcast is by DJ Mentos. You can find him at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guest Mike Drass and sports information director Cyril Parham for their time and their assistance putting this edition of our show together. Thanks to Frank Rossi and in the huddle for the audio from Montclair, New Jersey. And of course thanks to the creator of Around the Nation and uh, my co-host here on D3 football.com that's keith mcmillan you can reach us to talk more about division three football on twitter that's using the d3 fb hashtag i'm at d3 football on twitter and keith is at d3 keith there's a message board devoted to division three sports did you know join the conversation by registering to post at d3 boards.com with a legitimate email address also you can still follow d3 football.com on facebook because facebook is still a thing we have all sorts of content that is new on d3 football.com each week during the season so Look for the D3Football.com Play of the Week on Mondays, our Around the Region columns on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Then Adam Turr has a new Around the Nation column on Thursdays. Uh, the Quick Hits we keep talking about, those predictions are on Friday mornings, and uh, you get our wall-to-wall game coverage on Saturdays. Then Snap Judgments from Adam Turr on Sunday, a new Top 25 poll Sunday afternoon, and, a, and I think there's a podcast on like Monday morning or something, right?
1: Yeah, and don't forget, this week, next week only – Regional rankings Wednesday for the number crunching D3 nerds. It's one of the best days of the year.
0: It is the most wonderful time of the year. It's almost like there's it's nothing else the to say. It's the most
1: wonderful time of the year. I was trying not to do that, but it had to be done, right?
0: Who knew that Keith would be the one to sing on the podcast? I have a different version of that song that uh, I use myself and it's a uh... It's also very valid around Christmas time.
1: Except that it's what, Halloween? We're a little early on that.
0: Oh, I know. But we were talking about, well, we were doing the Christmas thing, I guess. It's the most wonderful time to drink beer. Oh. It's more like a post-game kind of thing after the stag. World. Gotcha. Is there really a bad
1: time? Oh, eh, all right. I'm with you. Ah. Although I can't drink this beer. I'm going to probably hop in the car and drive a stupid Saturday work. Wow. Whose idea was this?
0: How's that, how's that going to work in Texas?
1: Uh, cross that bridge when we get there. I won't we'll be doing it then. <laughs> we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, but, I mean, you're assuming that the stag wool's is going to happen in Texas.